Let's turn in Scripture this evening to Genesis chapter 2. So the very first book of the Bible and the second chapter. Genesis 2 and verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their hosts. By the seventh day God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. Now no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. But a mist used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. The Lord God planted a, vineyard, planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It flows around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. The bdellium and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gehan. It flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. And we'll stop there. So congregation, in our series of sermons that on the Catechism, we've started out on this path of life, as we are calling it. And today we come in the, in the path of life to these two trees. The one tree we expect to find on the path of life, the tree of life. But the other tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, is a different tree and, and, and brings us a different message, really, that we need to focus on this evening. And in our catechism, we've come to this question, which especially pertains to the origin of sin. You'll know that as we've studied the catechism, that we, we've come to this realization, and, and I pray to God, congregation, that that it's something that we own and confess ourselves and not just profess to believe as it's taught us in the catechism. But we found this monster of sin within us. This monster that rises up when the law of God comes and makes its demands upon us. We have this answer within us, not of humble submission, but of treason and of rebellion and of resentment 
of God's law that comes to us. And this monster of sin dwells within us. And it, it comes to life. And, and we've, we've seen so many different sides of that, of that monster now. But now the question comes, as we would naturally expect, where does man's corrupt nature, or this monster of sin as we're talking about, where does this corrupt nature come from? What is its origin? And the question uh, last week, you'll remember, was that God had made man good and upright and in his own image. So it does not come from God. And the answer this week is from the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. This fall has so poisoned our nature that we are all conceived and born in sin. So the origin of sin does not originate with God. It originates with man, with Adam and Eve, and ultimately with each of us. And these two trees then in Scripture are going to give us an entryway then into this truth of what happened in the Garden of Eden such that now the whole human race is poisoned by sin as the Catechism so graphically puts it. We are all poisoned, all conceived and born in sin. We all have this monster that dwells within us. So we have this tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now the tree of life. That This is the easy one, right? This is not difficult to understand. It's the tree of life. The tree that gives life. The tree that represents and seals life. There's a number of references to, the, to a tree of life uh, in the book of Proverbs. And it's not referring now to, to the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. But it gives us an understanding of what is meant by the tree of life. So let me just read these verses to you in Proverbs 3, verse 18, uh, verse 17. Her ways, talking about wisdom, her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. A tree which gives and produces and nourishes life. Very similarly in Proverbs 11 and verse 30, we have a similar, a similar uh, teaching. Proverbs 11, verse 30, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. The good deeds that righteous people do are a tree of life. And he who is wise wins souls. And Proverbs 13, verse 12, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. So now this, this proverb is interesting because it gives us the contrast. Hope deferred, right, or hope that is, is dashed, makes the heart sick. Right? It takes away life. Uh, but desire fulfilled, so the opposite, hopes that are, are met, is a tree of life. Let me read the whole thing. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And then one more in chapter 15 and verse 4. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. So there you have the tree of life over against crushing the spirit. You see the opposite there, don't you? So a tree of life, something that gives and produces, brings life. And especially in the Garden of Eden, this tree of life represents 
life. And by eating of it, by eating of it, the uh, Adam and Eve gained this benefit. They gained this benefit that life was represented, it was signified, it was a sign of life, but it was also sealed to them. It was a sign and a seal. Now come on, you know what language that is, right? A sign and a seal, right? What does that sound like? That sounds kind of like a sacrament, doesn't it? And that's why many of the older theologians would say that the tree of life was sacramental. It was a sign and a seal of God's favor. We say that a sacrament is a visible sign of an invisible grace. A visible sign of an invisible grace. So here was the tree of life. And by eating of that fruit, they received the invisible grace of God, God's favor to them, and God's promise that He would give them life, and actually in the Garden of Eden, that upon completion of this covenant, as I'll talk about shortly, they would be raised to a higher kind of life. Even higher than what they enjoyed in the Garden of Eden. But it's important now to understand that the benefit was gained by eating the fruit. You had to eat the fruit to gain the benefit of the tree of life. Well then, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Let's move to that. The tree of knowledge, good and evil. Because this is far more difficult to understand exactly what this tree meant and represented. I, I spent considerable time thinking it, about this and, and studying it. And I'll, I'll, I'll share with you the difficulty of understanding the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The first thing that we encounter then is that the benefit is gained now by not eating the tree of life. Not eating the fruit of the tree of life. God says in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. So the benefit gained from the tree of life is gained by not eating. Even as the tree of life, the benefit was gained by eating. And the title of this tree, of knowledge of good and evil, is that in itself is not so difficult, is it? By, by not eating from this tree, they would gain a knowledge of good and evil. Uh, we might say a, a recognition, an ability to recognize good and evil, an ability to know it, to understand it, in a way that they didn't before. And that's important. In a way that they didn't before. Now, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, God gives them a command not to eat from it. And here I want to distinguish, uh, dear friends, between a positive law, now this is the, the technical language of theologians, but it's very helpful for us to understand this, a positive law and a moral law. A positive law and a moral law. Uh, and the difference is just this. A positive law is something that we obey simply because God commands it. There does not appear to be anything in it that is moral or immoral. Now you can see that that's exactly the kind of commandment God gave to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, right? He said, don't eat from this tree. Well, if we went up to that tree, does it look any different from any other tree? No, it's, a, it's in the center of the garden. It's right next to the tree of light. They both look the same. God says, eat all you want from this tree and from any other tree, but from this tree, right? It wasn't that this tree had poisonous fruit or that this tree was exceptionally large and beautiful and he didn't want no, none of that. 
insofar as the tree looked, it was the same as any other tree in the garden. But God says, don't eat from that tree. Well, why? Well, a positive law is such that God says, because I'm commanding it to you. Now, if I can give you an example today, now, well, let me first say, so a moral law would, would have, its, would have the, the reason for its obedience wrapped up right within it. Like when I say, you know, be honest with your neighbors, right? Or parents should love their children. You know, the morality of it is, is wrapped up. It's inherent in the commandment itself. We can see that it's an inherently moral thing to love your children and to care for them or to speak the truth and so on and so forth. But a positive law, that might be something like when God gives us the sacraments and says, celebrate the Lord's Supper. There's nothing particularly moral about having a meal, right? God, it's just a, we, we do it because God commands us to do it. Baptize your children. Put the covenant sign upon the infant seed. Right? There's nothing inherently moral about it, like, like there is when I say tell the truth all the time. Right? It's a positive law that we keep because God commands it. So that's the difference. And that's important because I think you can recognize immediately, dear friends, that this commandment given to Adam and Eve is a positive commandment. It has no, there's no difference between the tree of knowledge of good and evil and all the other trees in the garden. God just says, don't eat from that fruit because I say so. Because I command it today. That's the kind of commandment that God gave them in the garden. And now I think that helps us to understand this tree of knowledge, good and evil. Because what God is saying is that the good is what I will. And the evil is what I forbid. You understand that? And, and that was so clearly captured by this one tree. Because again, there was, there was no... Adam could have stood in the garden and said, God, why can't I eat the fruit of that tree? It doesn't look any different from the fruit of all these other trees. Only because I will it. Only because I have commanded it. That's all. That's the only reason I'm going to give you. And by not eating from that tree, they gained this benefit of knowing and experiencing and relishing, might I even say soaking in the joy of doing God's will. And recognizing then that the good in life is what God wills. And the evil is what God forbids. And this is the lesson now that God will teach His children in this garden with the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we know that this is then wrapped up in this, in this, this covenant that God makes with His children. Now before I go to the third point there and talk about that covenant, I want to look at Genesis 3.22 because this verse is incredibly difficult. This verse is very difficult and I don't want to just uh, dodge it uh, this evening. But look with me please at Genesis 3 verse 22 because now we read, and this is now after the fall, right? They have eaten the forbidden fruit and after the fall, then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now what can that mean? When we have just been insisting that the benefit from the tree of the knowledge of the knowledge of the good and evil was from not eating it. And yet here God says that Adam and Eve have become like one of us 
Now they know good and evil. It seems that Adam and Eve gained the benefit from this tree by eating from it. Now that's the difficulty, isn't it? How to explain this? And here's how I think we can understand it, congregation. And that is that, that Adam and Eve did gain a knowledge of good, but especially evil now. Because they ate from the tree. By eating from the tree, you might say they tasted what it means to bring evil into your own heart. To embrace that which God forbids. And congregation, those are exact synonyms. What God forbids and evil. Those are the same thing. There's no difference. The measure of the evil is what God forbids. And now Adam and Eve have taken that serpent. They've taken that poison. Right? And they've embraced it. And now they know in a way that they didn't know before. Good and evil. And then you might say, well, wait a minute. What the God says now they've become like one of us. Well, they have become like God in the sense that they know good and evil. Adam and Eve now knew it by experience because they took the evil into themselves. God knows it because he's omniscient. Certainly not because he's sinned, right? Or taken evil to himself. God knows it because he knows everything. But now Adam and Eve learned the difference between good and evil. Now they would have learned it better had they, had they not eaten from that tree. Then they could have relished and lived and flourished in obedience to the will of God. And they would have tasted every day the beauty, the glory, the joy that comes in doing the good and keeping and observing the commandments of God. But they didn't. They ate. They took that forbidden fruit and now they tasted the evil. So yes, they did learn, in a sense, the difference between good and evil. But alas, what an awful way to learn the lesson. They embraced sin. And now they knew the difference between good and evil. Well, as I said, this then was all bound up in this covenant that God made with man, with Adam and with Eve. Adam was, on a, on a, in a sense, on a probation. His loyalty, his love for God was put to the test. Now, congregation, Adam had every advantage. He did not have that monster of sin living in him. Adam had a free will that could freely choose the good. Now, he could also freely choose the evil. But he was not like us with our will poisoned so that it always chooses sinful things. But the will of Adam was free for good, free for evil. Just the very fact that God made this covenant with Adam shows how God loved God. God did not need to make any covenant with Adam. But God entered into this covenant relation with his creation. Now the, the, the question comes up, what shall we call this then? What shall we call this covenant? Some have called it a covenant of friendship, which it certainly was. Right? That, those are perfectly reasonable terms that God demands obedience. Uh, I, I shouldn't even say demands. He, he expects obedience from his creation, from those who are made in his image. 
And he expects them to love, to obey him as their Lord. So a covenant of friendship. Some have called it a covenant of innocence because Adam was truly innocent. He had not yet sinned. He was innocent. A covenant of innocence. And it was a covenant for the maintenance of Adam's innocence. Some have called it a covenant of nature. Began, again, because Adam at this time was capable. He was naturally capable of obedience to the law of God. A covenant of nature. Some have called it a covenant of life. Because in this obedience, Adam would have flourished in the will of God, obeying and living to the fullest. The term that you're probably familiar with is the covenant of works. Now, that's not a biblical term, but it's certainly a, a, a consistent with biblical theology. A covenant of works. Because here is Adam now on probation. And his love and his loyalty is put to the test. But it's not a covenant of grace in the sense that God gives Adam the ability and the, and the, and the grace in his life to obey. No, Adam's on his own. He's a natural man. And he is called upon now to obey God. Yes, with every advantage, but not with God's help, not with God's grace. Adam did not have the Holy Spirit. Adam was on his own. And he had to freely choose the good in order to show his love and his loyalty for God. And actually, congregation, in Hosea 6, verse 7, we have an interesting verse. Because this verse... Notice that the word covenant never occurs in Genesis 2. Some people have, have noted that and have said, well, we really shouldn't call it a covenant. However, in Hosea 6, verse 7, we read, but like Adam, they, now that they here is Israel, like Adam, they have transgressed the covenant. But like Adam, they have transgressed the covenant. So that seems to imply, doesn't it, that Adam was under a covenant relation to God in the Garden of Eden just as Israel was under a covenant relation to God later. That's why theologians have always said that we should consider what took place in the Garden of Eden as a covenant. And again, all these different names, the one that seems to come to the top, most often though, is the covenant of works. And partly the reason why covenant of works is, very, is most often used is because it, it shows it's the counterpart of the covenant of grace, right? which is a radically different covenant. The covenant of works and the covenant of grace. Furthermore, to close then this, this, this point on the covenant, we know that Adam was not just acting for himself. He was acting on behalf of the whole human race. And that Adam's obedience was going to be reckoned to the whole human race had he succeeded in this covenant. And his disobedience was going to be reckoned to the whole human race should he fail. Well, congregation, you know the story, right? Adam failed. He willfully chose to eat the fruit from the tree of which God had said, you shall not eat the fruit of that tree. Eve looked on the fruit and saw that it was good. And it was good to eat. It looked good. It looked tasty. It looked, it looked good to eat. And that was enough for her. And then Adam as well, who should have known better, more so even than Eve, looked on that fruit and it was good to eat. And so he laid aside the command of God and he ate. What does that mean for us then this evening, congregation? 
means that that path of life by which we would walk to God, by which we would have life, an eternal life, an abundance of life, a fruitful life, is not blocked. And there in the middle of the path of life congregation is that tree. It stares us in the face this evening. That tree of knowledge of good and evil. And it represents an obstacle that we cannot overcome. Because God says, obey all my commands. The Westminster Catechism has the three P's, personal, perpetual, and personal, no, I'm forgetting one, personal, perpetual, and, oh, I can't think of it right now, but constant obedience to all the commands of God. Not the least transgression. And that's what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents in the path of life this evening. And so that brings me to my first point of application. This is our covenant congregation. This commandment, this covenant which God made with Adam is still in force. It must be obeyed. You can't bypass it. You can't just walk past the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to get to the tree of life. The tree of knowledge of good and evil represents this broken covenant that blocks our access to the tree of life. And if this covenant is not kept, if this covenant is not observed, then we're lost. Then we fail. Then we're condemned with Adam. The whole human race is condemned in him. This is the origin of the sin that plagues us this is the origin of the guilt that will drag us down to hell. This covenant defines the terms between God and all His creation. Perfect, there it is, it's perfect, personal, perpetual obedience to His commands. Perfect, personal, perpetual. That's what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil preaches to us this evening. And the terms of that covenant must be kept. And we have failed. What does that do, congregation? What does that do? Well, that brings me to my second point of application. Our access to the tree of life is blocked. Our man failed. The man who represents us was a failure. And our sin every day means that we second the choice that Adam made. Adam sinned, and we continue to sin. What does that do? That drives us to the feet of another. The terms of this covenant have to be kept. And when we stand before that tree of knowledge, good and evil, congregation, I, I would ask you this evening, is this also your experience? That you stand before that tree of knowledge of good and evil and you confess that your sin blocks your access to the tree of life. And that that is just. That this evil did not originate from God. 
but it originated as a result of my own choice to go contrary to the will of God. God says do this, and we went the other way. And our actual sins add to the fact that what Adam did, we do every day. And congregation, that's why I ask you in this evening, do you see that tree tonight? Because that tree brings us to an end of our own working. It brings us to an end of our own merits. We have, we have nothing now that we can say to God when He condemns us to hell eternally. Again, because this sin didn't originate with God. It originated as a result of our own choice. That's what this tree of knowledge, good and evil, represents to us. And it drives us in our despair to what I want to speak then in the third place, the second Adam. You know the scripture speaks of a second Adam, of another Adam. A congregation, like I said, the tree of knowledge of good and evil preaches to us that God's covenant must be kept. The covenant of works must be observed. God doesn't just take the covenant of works and say, well, I see that you're not able to do that, so I'm going to put that aside. No, that covenant of works must be kept. It must be observed. Either by ourselves or by another. And that's the beauty of the preaching this evening, congregation. Is that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil preaches to us another Adam. A second Adam. An Adam that on the cross cried out, It is finished. You understand that cry now? Do you understand what Jesus was saying when he said, It is finished? He was saying that that broken covenant that represents despair for us because we've broken that command. We've broken that covenant. And as covenant breakers, we deserve to be cast out of God's presence forever. But now the second Adam, he steps forward, congregation. He steps forward and he does not fail. And just as by the disobedience of one, we can be condemned into hell for, eternal, for eternally, so by the obedience of the second Adam, we can be saved. We can have eternal life. And so the tree of knowledge of good and evil drives us out of ourselves and it drives us out of our own working out of our own merits. And it drives us to that second Adam. You might say that the Lord Jesus Christ also stood before that tree, dear friends. He also stood before the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But he kept that command perfectly. And all the other commandments of God too. Perfectly he kept every syllable of God's law. Perfect. Personal and perpetual obedience. This Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, obeyed every jot and tittle of the commandments of God. That's what he cried out. It is finished. And in the psalm that we read tonight, Psalm 40, I delight to do your, your will. Your law, O God, is within my heart. He came to this earth and he kept the covenant of works perfectly. And Paul can say, for as in Adam all die." And what's the rest of it? So in Christ shall all be made alive. Well, congregation, I have to press that question upon you this evening. Who is Jesus Christ to you?
tonight. I desire to hear your, not me, God desires to hear your answer this evening. Who is Jesus Christ to you? Remember Jesus even said that at one point. He said, what think ye of the Christ? Congregation, that's a personal question that comes to you tonight. Who is Jesus Christ to you? When we talk about Christ-centered religion, Christ-centered preaching, Christ-centered gospel, this is at the heart of it. That when we stand before the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we are a failure. Our guilt condemns us eternally. But when Christ stands before that tree, he succeeds perfectly without a syllable of failure. And tonight, if we are in Christ, we succeed with him. And we can go through that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we can take again the fruit of the tree of life. But congregation, don't miss it this evening. It is only in Christ that you can get through that tree. What do you think of Christ this evening? Who is Christ to you? Is he that second Adam? That successful Adam? The Adam who didn't fail? If you're outside of Christ this evening, then you have to face that tree yourself. God does not dismiss the covenant of works. He does not dismiss it. It's still invalid. It's still in force for every one of us. And either we have to observe it or a substitute has to observe it in our place. And that's why I say, who is Jesus Christ to you this evening? Some people have said, well, Jesus is a great man. He was a great teacher. He taught wonderful ethical principles. Ah, that falls short, doesn't it? If that's all Jesus is to you, then, then it's a failure. Then you're still facing that tree of knowledge of good and evil yourself. Our instructor teaches us in the catechism that my only comfort in life and death is that I'm not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Ah, that's the answer, congregation. That's the answer that you might say answers the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That if we belong to Jesus Christ, if we are joined to him by a true faith, then that tree holds no, no despair for us. It holds no threat to us. Our man kept that covenant perfectly. And when we are in him, we succeed. You know, I thought to title the sermon tonight, The Path of Life Blocked. That really would have been an appropriate title, The Path of Life Blocked. But now Christ steps forward. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, congregation, how Christ is at the center of everything that we profess and everything that we do in life. Not just because he taught us wonderful things, but because he keeps the covenant that we broke. And when we are in him, we keep that covenant as well. You know, we talked a lot about two trees this evening. But really, there's only two men in the world, congregation, that matter. Only two men. 
There's Adam, and there's the second Adam. There's the first Adam, and the second Adam. Either you're in the one, or you're in the other. And congregation, if by grace tonight you can say, I am in Christ, then you are as safe as Christ himself. You're bound up with Jesus Christ. You belong to Jesus Christ in body and soul, in life and death. And nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. It's always in Christ, my friends. Two men, Adam and the second Adam. I want to close this evening with the same verse that we began with in the call to worship, because I think maybe you'll hear it a little differently now. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. May God bless that to us. Let us pray. O God, we earnestly desire to come to that tree of life, to eat that blessed fruit which signs and seals to us your promise of eternal life. But Lord, there stands in our path that awful tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A tree that's not awful in itself, but a tree that represents to us a broken covenant of works. A tree that represents all that's wrong with us, all of our failure, all of our guilt. Oh God, this evening we take hold of Jesus Christ as the glorious second Adam. We take refuge in him. We hide ourselves in him. We glory in the fact, oh God, that we belong to him with soul and body, in life and in death. Oh Lord, if there is any here who are outside of Christ, I pray, oh God, that this evening they would say, Other helper have I none. I hang my helpless soul on you. That they would come to this rock of ages and find in him the double cure from sin and from guilt. Oh Lord, will you please bless us then as your people. And we pray, Lord, that as we reflect upon our Savior this evening and what he does for us along the path of life, how he opens that door, how he removes the obstacle of that broken covenant, and how he brings us once more to that blessed tree of life, Lord, I pray that we might worship, that our whole life might be sold out for Jesus Christ, that we would love him and serve him with our whole heart, that we would be ready to live and die for Jesus Christ. Lord, may our life be Christ-centered from beginning to end. And Lord, will you forgive us for the many times that we have not served this Christ, this Savior, this second Adam, as he deserves. For those times when our sin has betrayed him, for those times when our sin has slapped him in the face, Lord, we come again to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We take refuge in him. And pray, Lord, that our sins might be forgiven in his precious blood. Lord, will you remember us then this week, as we go forth into this week, we pray, Lord, that it would be a good week, that you would watch over and keep us, and that you would bring us again together on the Lord's day, and that we might rejoice in your love and in your Son once more. Lord, hear our prayer, and remember us for good. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.